Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi, recording from MDL Group. Recognized market leaders in commercial real estate brokerage and property management in Las Vegas, Nevada. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am back again with my co-hostess with the mostess. Mariana Honeycutt. Mariana is a licensed civil engineer and practice builder with Kimley Horn and Associates. She is a mountain biker. She is a dog mom. Maybe not a mountain biker. A biker? A mountain biker. You are a mountain biker. A competitive mountain biker? Nope. Nope. For for fun. (laughs) But definitely enjoy enjoy any outdoor recreation. And we have a lot of fun. And like you had mentioned my dogs, we uh, do a lot of trail rides for sure. What kind of dogs are they? Big ones. Big ones. Uh, big teeth. <laughs> they're <laughs> <laughs> they're uh, Belgian Malinois. I got two of them. Sounds exotic. Yeah, yeah. They um, you most who are list tuning in may be more familiar with them. They're they're kind of the modern version of the military or police working dog. So, uh, very smart. A uh, lot of energy. <laughs> very very cool. Well, thank you for being with me here again. Part three of our Netflix series for. 2021 NAOP Southern Nevada Programs Committee. This has been fun. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> if you want to get that reference, you have to listen to episode one and episode two of what, we, of what we've been doing. <laughs> Although I don't think they're going to be titled episode one and two. It's NAOP takeaways from January and February. But today we're going to share our takeaways from the NAOP March program, which was also virtual. NAOP is the Association for the Commercial Real Estate Development Community. The March program was titled, If You Build It, Will They Come? A Haas Story, The Evolution of Manufacturing. No, no, no. The Evolution in Manufacturing in Southern Nevada. So this was another big program, uh, really talked about not just economic development, but also specifically economic development with a manufacturing story that's happening, that's playing out before our eyes right now in real life. And this is, um, again, a big theme that came out of our January program where the developers talked about, active developers in in Southern Nevada talked about what is going on in their day-to-day, and these two things were were among them. Right. You know, it's interesting because this discussion around Haas really stemmed from back in 2019, I believe, when... I, I actually had the privilege to sit in the city council meeting at the at the city of Henderson when Haas was awarded this property, and it was a big deal for Southern Nevada, made a lot of headlines, uh, and we were hoping to do a program centered around this discussion, um, but there were just so many unknowns, lack of uh, who the contacts were, uh, when it was happening, what it really involved, and uh, fortunately, it's come to fruition over the past year or so, and it was really a privilege to get to know um, Peter Zerhut with, with Haas Automation and, and put this program together. 
So we, we talked in the last couple episodes about the inner workings, the back of the curtain, behind the curtain workings of the NAOP programs committee. And that's that's what we're talking about as it relates to Haas. And this is sort of how it goes where something happens and there's a story around it. There's a like we talked about before, there's a thread of curiosity to pull. And you brought this this idea of who's this Haas company? What is this Haas company? They just got awarded a massive parcel. And what is it? I think Reed called it, it's not baked yet. It's not ready for NAOP prime time. There isn't enough there. And just like that, snap of a finger, this confluence of, of conversations, and now it's ready. But that's part of the story. The other part of the story for this program was our half moderator, half keynote speaker, hand selected by Mariana herself. Uh, it was Betsy Fretwell, who is the senior vice president for Switch Cities, and if that's not enough, also the chairwoman for the Las Vegas Global and Economic Alliance. Again, we talked about the importance of economic diversification from the January program. It jumped over to the February program, and now we brought it front and center with Betsy. Um, the other panelists included Javier Wasiak, senior vice president with JLL. He is an industrial and a logistics broker very entrenched in the history of industrial development. He's kind of like a professor when he was talking about it uh, here in Southern Nevada. And you mentioned Peter... Zierhut. Zierhut. Peter Zierhut, Vice President of Outside Operations for Haas Automation. The March sponsor, the March program sponsor was NIT Architecture. We know NIT. We know Kurt Carlson for a very long time. And there were nearly 300 people signed in to the Zoom in the Zoom room that morning. It was an excellent program. Very exciting to put this one together uh, and, and really neat to tie the efforts of LVGEA to an actual physical project that is coming to fruition right now. Very exciting. So let's talk about that first because we talked about at the end of the episode where we were talking about the January program. One of the great things about this program are things get said that start conversations. And Jim Stewart prefaced his comments with, I'm going to get in trouble for this, or I might get in trouble for this. But his perception was the Southern Nevada municipalities and the Southern Nevada Economic Agency, which is LVGEA, from his perspective, it's a head scratcher for him. Why don't they go in it with a uniform message into Southern California with a provocative message to get companies to move here? Let's put a pause there because we're going to unpack a lot here, a lot of context here, and uh, also how you know, Jim can make a comment like that and it's interpreted a different way. So we thought, cool, let's get Betsy on here. Let's talk about LVGEA. I mean, she is accomplished in her own right, not even just switch cities, not just as the chairwoman of LVGEA. I mean, she's got, I think, a 27 year history with um, public service. She had culminated she with, the with city, city of Las Vegas. Yep, yeah. She was a city manager. So she knows what she's talking about. Again, like the we talked about the February breakfast was an enormous conversation where if you want to engage in it, you got to go back to 1998. Betsy has been in it, been in the trenches, been doing it at a high level also across a lot of different sectors. So she was the right person. So back to Jim's comment, economic diversification. There is a disconnect potentially. Let's get Betsy on. Let's hear what the LVGEA is doing. Yep, it was a very uh, a great team, I guess, panel that we put together. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, what I had alluded to, I think, in an earlier discussion we had is 
you know, this could have gone in so many different directions. Betsy having a ton of exposure to target industries um, and knowing what LVGA's initiatives are on that front. I thought it'd be great if we could get a panelist, a speaker from each of those industries and everyone get together and have a really in-depth discussion. But, you know, the the great thing about our uh, programs committee is that we help rein each other in a little bit, right? (laughs) (laughs) So that's what really helped us framework this program and focus specifically on manufacturing. And Betsy's background combined with Peter's experience and knowledge in this just uh, and, and Javier's experience locally really allowed us to bounce uh, conversation topics off of off of uh, these speakers. So, I mean, that's really cool how it all came together. And we, you know, like a, a, another cool thing about for geeking out how, how programs come together is you start with a linchpin like a Betsy and then you sort of build around there. And, and you're right, this conversation can go in many different ways. So what's the right conversation at the moment? And then the other thing, the reality that plays in is who is available. That, that comes into it also. So Betsy kicked us off that morning. Before <laughs> that, let's take two steps back. Uh, we, you know, we talked in a previous episode about the importance of the NAOP pre-call. So we had a couple of pre-calls on this one. And then many Which people... Which went seamlessly. I no, mean, they were great. great. Yeah. yeah. And every, I mean, we're ironing out what are we going to talk about? What is important? Um, you know, Peter is getting to know Javier and Javier, Peter and Betsy and how, I mean, again, it's like this synergy is created on the calls and they're all learning from each other and, and one plus one starts to equal five and it's amazing. And Katrina and her team and key members of the program committee will log in to Zoom how many minutes before? Half an hour before. Half hour before. And all the panelists will log in a half hour before. And 99% of the time, everything's fine except for this. the few minutes before in the March program. You were on. What happened? I was on. I logged on, and uh, we had everyone there, and Betsy was a robot. Her voice was <laughs> staticky and sporadic, and uh, we found out that she had no internet connection, or very, very poor internet connection. And she, of course, was our moderator, very key person, and we've got 20 minutes left to start the program. So it was, it was funny. Just This is a funny like side note to, the, to this, uh, this uh, takeaway. But um, we happened to have Terry on the call from Cox uh, Business, who services Betsy's area. And Betsy was working from home that day. So um, the internet went out in the area. And uh, Terry uh, got some folks on the call. And Terry just happened to be on this pre-call prior to the program starting because she was uh, giving the the committee announcements that day. And she had all the hookups, man. She got ev- the folks on the line that needed to get uh, Betsy's internet up and running. And I think we were good to go with like 10 minutes left to go. It was, it was uh, not funny, but also one that we'll be telling stories about later. <laughs> so a, a term that was brought up on this uh, breakfast was... Uh, utility purveyor or service purveyor yep utility purveyor utility purveyor and how important is it to have a terry in your corner when you need your internet (laughs) rebooted and back up so terry thank you thank you to cox you saved the day definitely and you saved uh katrina from having to take anxiety anti-anxiety medication (laughs) that morning all right so you got the hitches worked out um we introduced the breakfast we gave betsy the platform and she went into uh, the LVGEA story, and they had just refreshed 
what do they call it? Their, their report, the their target sector analysis. Yeah. Okay. So who they're going after, right? Kind and of a thing. What what they're analyzing as key uh, sector industries for the the economic development of Southern Nevada. And you know, it was interesting when we were talking with Betsy about this. We thought it would be important to framework this program with her starting as kind of a keynote address because we felt it'd be important to remind everyone or those who are maybe new uh, to the organization what LVGEA does, what they stand for, and how they help contribute to the growth of Southern Nevada. So that was the the purpose of uh, Betsy's keynote at the beginning. And it was great. And she started out with a, a couple of uh, informational tidbits. One of them was she put up a couple of slides for target industries and she gave a contrast between how they were performing pre-pandemic and then how they were performing post-pandemic. And what came up, I think there were like six or eight, if I remember right. Right, right. But what jumped out, there were uh, one, two, three sectors, target sectors that were performing uh, same or better. Like, you know, she had the green in the pre and then red in the post if they weren't doing well. But then there were three sectors that were green, green. That were still experiencing some degree of growth, albeit reduced during 2020. But they were the ones that survived and were continuing to grow. So those uh, were autonomous systems, finance, banking and insurance and logistics and manufacturing. How timely to have a conversation around manufacturing. Very timely. (laughs) You know, the other takeaway I got, and and the LVGEA did this, I don't know how many years ago, but they absolutely did this pointedly, is they went to a data approach, research and data. They, they, They churn out their own research. I think they also, they can correct me if I'm wrong, but they contract for additional research, but they really take an information and data approach to what they do, and she underscored that. So then the next slide was her first time presenting it, actually anybody's first time hearing it, which was the LVGEA's updated, they call it the new target industries for Southern Nevada. And there are seven of them. Uh, they were general and advanced manufacturing, uh, creative industries, information and communication technologies, transportation and logistics technologies, uh, business and financial services, healthcare services, and last but not least, clean technologies. Clean technologies we heard about in February from Director Michael Brown. Right, right. Oh, so they're, what's it called? They're not duplicating services. They're aligning themselves. So I was looking at, at creative industries because I'm curious, like, what falls into those categories. So other, other th- like, sub lists under there are creative professional services, media production, media broadcasting and distribution, entertainers and supporting services. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bubbles that have target industries. I don't know why I focused on creative industries first. (laughs) It's actually the second one. The first one is general and advanced manufacturing. This is really what we were wanting to focus on for this program and hone in on this particular example because Haas was such a relevant example that we could use for this topic. So in the, let me ask you this. In the setting up of this program where we got Betsy, we talked about Haas. Javier, there was a call that I missed that Javier was introduced to it. And I think he spoke with, it was either Reed or Dan. I think or it was Reed and Dan. Reed yeah. and Dan and really ran them down on the history of manufacturing. Were you a part of that? I was not on that call. But what um, I had actually uh, advocated that we bring in Javier because of his experience and background in uh, Southern Nevada, his just knowledge, over 40 years of experience working here. 
Um, he doesn't look it. I know, young guy. Actually, I think it's 30, <laughs> sorry. 30 in the industry, 40 years of experience. But yeah, very young guy, very talented, incredibly kind. Um, but and every time I have an interaction with Javier, he just has a wealth of knowledge. And um, this is something that played an, an integral role in frameworking this, this program, uh, just his background on what's going on. Uh, in the manufacturing world and uh, who's coming to Las Vegas, what trends he's seeing, uh, how we are structured to support those growth trends. Um, immediately, I, I thought he would be a great asset to this, this uh, panel. So there were a lot of things that we talked about in the pre-call that we, we, we threw on the table. One, we asked Betsy, you know, we can't have this be an LVG, a commercial. We want a real conversation. And, you know, I remember Jonas Peterson was on that first call. And we talked about what was said at the January breakfast where Las Vegas is a flyover city or it's become a flyover city. And a couple of reactions were interesting around that. One was, you know, Jonas and, and Betsy, neither of them shied away from the conversation. It's let's lean into it and let's talk about it. Both of them, both and Javier and Peter, when we brought this concept up of Las Vegas is a flyover city, they all kind of glossed over like where who was saying that? Where did they were shocked to yeah. hear that. <laughs> and it wasn't like, you know, they're just brushing it off. All of them were just shocked. And so we have to pause here and like unpack a few things. Because when it was said, I believe in January, it was around uh, office user space, corporate headquarter types. And what we're talking about here is largely manufacturing. Right. And the example that was given in the January breakfast as a flyover city, you know, companies are flying over Vegas and going to Phoenix and Salt Lake and Provo and Denver, but Javier was adamant that was not true for manufacturing. And in fact, when we brought it up, he, he referenced two things. He said, you know, the rate of growth for manufacturing has slowed down in other regions, but not in Las Vegas. So he was really head scratching around that. Albeit it's new too, though. Yeah, that's right. okay. That's fair enough. Yeah. I wonder if this has something to do too with, you hear lots of discussion about our education system, right? And we had touched on mm -hmm. it in the previous program. Is, is that being a component to Vegas maybe being perceived as a flyover city as well, right? Yeah. Um, well, so Peter... Especially with the skilled workforce that manufacturing mm. needs. That, bingo. That's where I was going. Bo both Peter and Betsy talked about that. The need for a skilled workforce. And they're... You know, it didn't stop Haas from coming here because they have, they have had experience with this and creating programs working with the local community colleges and other educational institutions. And he did talk about that. We'll talk about that. And Betsy also talked about that, the need for retooling and re, re I don't know if that's the term, reskilling our workforce. Right, right, exactly. And I think um, what I was really impressed to hear from Peter um, is just the examples of those programs that they've put in place um, from from prior uh, operations. So I think that's really incredible. You know, I think I said it in the in the first episode where you are the face of the NAOP program Q&A. <laughs> uh, I didn't say it enough, but this came up. It was a question that came up in the Q&A. We're um, jumping ahead, but it's fine. To Peter around when you do this in a community, what's the time frame for you guys going to a community, talking to a university, a college, setting up a program and actually turning out the students from uh, to to qualified candidates for new jobs. Well, he talked about you guys, the engineers. <laughs> he he said there's there's the the skilled workforce not long because they're certification programs, and he did say, but the engineers still have to be engineers. 
You know, and I think I, I read an interesting article around this too, where, um, you know, there, there's a certain degree, obviously, of engineering and formal high level education that's required. But what one thing that actually really intrigues me about manufacturing um, growth in Southern Nevada is the potential for apprenticeship programs. So those um, individuals who maybe don't have the means to go to college or obtain a higher uh, higher education, but can be part of these programs to really get integrated, it, it really opens up a lot of opportunities for uh, more of a, a cross-section of the community and uh, the workforce to be involved in this too. Not, not just engineers, those with degrees, licenses, but I think um, those who are able to operate the the equipment that and the machinery that are involved in, in this type of uh, industry. That's a good point. Peter came on and really talked about a few things that were important for him to underscore. I was really paying close attention. One, he was careful to say we're not leaving California. I don't know if you picked up on that. Yeah, I did notice that. <laughs> he was like, this is an expansion for us. And you know, I, I was kind of trying to follow... Uh, they moved twice, so there's a move from one part of California into Oxnard, mm-hmm. and then this is a second move, but it's not a move away from it; is an expansion. And their first, he he also made an important point because I had asked the question. I remember I said, you know, in other examples where you've expanded, um, you know, and he had mm-hmm. was quick to correct me, like this is our first major expansion. That's right. Yeah, and so I was I stood corrected there. <laughs> so let's rewind back to 2019 when you were at the city of Henderson planning commission meeting and Haas was awarded this thing that does not happen unless a city like Henderson has control of 300 acres, which is what they ended up taking down. Right. And to tie this back into the February program where this massive generate once in a generation lands bill is on the table and why it's so important. Right. It's, it's absolutely critical. And Michael Brown even touched on this, that land is essential to economic development and growth of a community. Just absolutely essential. Um, I have to go to my notes because Marcy said some things that we were so excited about. It's not just land. It is large parcels. Large parcels. In the right areas mm-hmm. for primarily non-residential use. Exactly. And that's what this 300 acres is in Henderson that Haas ended up. This part of Henderson, um, I mean, just an incredible uh, growth over the recent years. I mean, the Raiders practice facility, you've got a lot of uh, mixed use going up in that area and large industrial. uh, It's very growing very, very quickly. There was criticism for Henderson, the city of Henderson and specifically Deborah March for releasing the land to the Raiders practice facility at what was then uh, the criticism was it was at a discount that a developer would have paid more. Ah, but I think, you know, a smart move on the, their uh, part. Oh, Absolutely. it was brilliant move brilliant. because here's, the, here's the reality around that. A developer would have paid more mm-hmm. and they would have got a little more for the land and the impact would have been just that. Right. But when the Raiders say, well, we'll get it, but we're going to get it at a discount because, frankly, they could go anywhere and they're going to it's that's just how it works. Right. You can begrudge it all you want, but that's just how it works, because when the practice facility lands there, it's like a meteor hits in that place. And there's like a ripple throughout that area. And look what's there now. Right. Exactly. And, you know, we touched on this in the program, too. Um, we're, we're jumping to the go Deborah right? is what I'm saying. <laughs> 
we touched on this in the Q and A as well about um, the effects of what happens when you diversify in this way and the symbiotic relationships that you have with a multitude of um, developments. That's and right. Types of uses. I remember that now. Yeah. Javier and Peter were going through, like they were fencing a bit, not in a bad way, but um, they were talking about, so when a Haas comes here, what is Haas? They are a manufacturer of, do you know the, de- the do you remember the uh, details that he was? I think it was the, like, I think it's it all was sorts of stuff. All random, yeah. Like and medical equipment, uh, precise machinery, right? All this stuff, and vehicle then, equipment, y- yeah. Uh, the F, they do the F one um, uh, components. So, so when they're doing that here, who is going to come to be next to them because they need to be next to them, right? And that's what they were talking about. It's not just a three hundred acre. 2.4 million square foot facility that will be there because they were awarded this. Right. It's that and, 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 and. Exactly. And what I really loved about uh, this agreement um, that uh, Haas had in, in obtaining or acquiring the property or purchasing the property, to say, from uh, the city was that uh, they agreed that they would not um, develop the entire property. A portion of that as part of the agreement, city of Henderson felt very strongly that it should go towards um, uh, local developers as well. And I do think that was a great initiative to help diversify that area further too. Absolutely. And then just to, cause we have, you know, it was fun that we Googled Haas automation, uh, Henderson and what came up. And I'm saying this cause anybody can Google it. And it's kind of fascinating. What came up was their application that they submitted, I believe through the LVGEA, for their uh, economic incentives that that are available, this is you know not just what you know what Betsy is doing as chairwoman, also what Director Brown is doing through GoEd, the Governor's Economic Governor's Office for Economic Diversification. Uh, and here's the application: they have to put all this stuff in. They have some statutory obligations to receive their incentives. Right. They don't just get a pot of money, from what I understand. And here's just let's just talk about some of the things that they are representing that they will do in order to get these incentives. So it looks like uh, at maturity, it's somewhere. I think Peter said 2000. The application says twenty four hundred jobs. Right. And it's not minimum wage. It's a skilled workforce, skilled workforce jobs, average wages. It's right here. Twenty two dollars and fifty four cents to twenty four dollars and four cents. They have to provide benefits. There's a it's a company pays seventy five percent of employee premiums, uh, forty six hundred ninety three dollars annually per employee with options for dependents, four hundred one k retirement profit sharing all that, all that's in this application. So I mean, there's some strings attached. Yeah, definitely. And we talked about the skilled workforce that they will be working with the colleges to produce. Uh, the engineers that they'll not just help produce, but also attract. That's, you know, one of the things that Betsy jumped in on was it's not just company moves here and brings their employees with them. And we sell homes and population grows and sell more groceries at the grocery stores. It's company moves here and needs to hire from within the community also. So it's, it's not a hundred percent one way or the other. Right. And I think what Peter was trying to emphasize, too, uh, on that portion of the discussion was that their goal is to really focus on the development of local, uh, a local skilled workforce, too. Obviously, there's going to be some 
uh, that are going to have to move here and help get that going. But he he said that that's their goal is to really focus on that effort. You know, I'm just kind of thinking how this started. A January program where we had no program and decided, well, let's just get the people who are doing things. You know, the NAMP core membership, the active developers, how they're doing things and talk about what are you doing? And we turned off our microphones and we turned off our videos and just let them talk. And out of that conversation where we were just the flies on the wall came a lot of things. One, cool innovations for NAOP programs, but also what are their concerns? What are they wrestling with? What are their perceptions about how things are going and what can be improved? And pulling that thread, we got to this other thing that's kind of spinning around over here, the other plate that we're spinning, which is NAOP uh, sponsored a land study and is getting behind this lands bill to release land for economic development and diversification once in a generational kind of a thing and how that's tied into so many things, how the tentacles of that conversation go so far and so deep in so many different areas of our community from aviation to the governor's office, to the Moapa tribal enterprises, <laughs> uh, uh, to the recreationist, to all that and how it's important for me as a broker and for you as an engineer, a civil engineer and what the, the fight that the LVGEA is doing um, and let's kind of talk about this for a second because there was a criticism made. It was made by a developer in a productive spirit, not in a you're terrible, you're evil, you're, you're not doing it. It was an observation and I am personally grateful that it was made because it spurred this entire conversation. And then you have the people at the LVGEA who by everything that I've seen and everything they presented are fighting a good fight from you know, the best that they can, the best that they believe that they can be doing They're, they're, uh, you know, it, it really resonated when Betsy said, cool, from your perspective, what else can we be doing? So it wasn't a, uh, you know, finger on my nose. I'm snubbing you and we're, we know what we're doing. We got this. You guys are the idiots that don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, Southern Nevada, good, honest people on both sides of the equation, doing the best that they can in the fields that they're in and in the lens that they see. You know, uh, one of the biggest takeaways from this this series, I guess what we can call it, for me personally, was that everyone has the best intention in this. And what I've had the privilege to gain from, you know, helping plan and coordinate these events is that we all play a part. And I think the more we can continue to have this kind of open communication and dialogue and be willing to relay this constructive feedback um, is how we're going to be moving forward. And so part of it is, you know, staying current with the events, <laughs> you know, knowing what's going on in, in the community and what's and how it affects you, too, I think. You know, thinking about the lands bill. When I first took a glance, I was like, how does this affect me? Like, why, why does it matter to me, right? I'm so with you on that. <laughs> I'm so busy right now. Why does it affect me, right? <laughs> but just learning about it, it's just like, wow, this is going to impact us all in the future. And so that was, you know, my biggest takeaway is, you know, we're all, we all want the best for each other and for our community. And, um, you know, the more we can educate ourselves, the organization, um, those who are going to be essential stakeholders and, and decision makers in this, the the more prosperous we'll be. Um, I'm curious, too, I'm going to throw that question back at you, Haim. Uh, following these three uh, programs, for you 
personally, what's what's the biggest takeaway from this so-called NAOP series? You said it so well. I was really about to say, wow, I can't top that. But since you're throwing it back to me, my one big takeaway, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm sitting here going, going into this year. I had a lot of changes in my schedule. I became president-elect of NAOP. So a lot of uh, new things that showed up on my calendar and when that happens it's you know there's there is a resistance it's like oh my god what did i get myself into and then going through the january program where we're literally sitting there texting each other like this is fire a few weeks ago we had nothing and now we've we're about to produce the best thing we've ever done and then how that built onto february and the complexity of that conversation and then how that built into March and the real life boots on the ground, what's happening now. It's for me, the takeaways as I'm sitting here talking to you about it, it's just a, in a total, I'm re-energized and I am reinvigorated and even more passionate about why NAOP. Cause NAOP made all of this possible. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if it wasn't for NAOP, if right. you weren't in DLI and if I wasn't at the DLI dinner, when you, did you win the award? Were you guys the star? No, no. <laughs> you should have been. Cassie would say that too, right? <laughs> she, yeah, she's very passionate yeah. about that. <laughs> Brandon would tell me otherwise because his class did win, I think, right? Or am I thinking about different classes? Uh, it might, it might have been different. I don't. Honestly, Anywho, so I ago. was in DLI, and that's why I was there, and I was in DLI all because of NAOP. So, that's my big takeaway. Love it. It's fantastic. So, on that note, is there anything else to say about March that hasn't been said? March was a great program. I think uh, our, our speakers did a fantastic job and represented uh, the, the topic extremely well. And the discussion made me very excited for Haas to come to our community. We welcome them. And uh, we look forward to seeing the impacts that they'll have on uh, the Southern Nevada market. should be exciting. And now I will say well said. And that will conclude our takeaways from the March NAOP program. The title was, If You Build It, Will They Come? And that'll conclude our series of takeaways from the first quarter, but not the rest, because there's more to come from NAOP programs. The NAOP April program, do you want me to tell you what it's going to be? Go ahead. Give it's them going to be, this is a sneak peek. It's not fully done. Katrina might kill me for this. It'll be an industrial panel, and we're going deeper into industrial just like we did with manufacturing, but everything else. So that's the coming attraction. The NAOP April program is April 15th at 7.50 a.m. Thank you all for listening. If you like what you heard, leave us a comment, leave us a review. Tune in next time. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.